This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You give me one shot here on a blue chip stock. Believe me, Kevin, the only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. Nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in circles. What's going on, NBA draft fans? Your boys are back. The Wolves of Ball Street, your favorite draft analysts, favorite draft analysts. Um, this is the Draft Act NBA Draft Podcast on the No Ceilings NBA Draft Podcast feed. My name is Corey Tullivan. I am here as always with my co-host, Albert. Garbage time, Gim. Albert, what's going on, brother? All is good. Uh, it's an exciting time, as always. I feel like I say that all the time, but it really is, especially for us as a part of the No Ceilings Collective. Um, obviously, a lot is going on for us, and it's kind of a busy season now that we're in the swing of the college basketball season and the NBA season. So all is good, man. I'm excited. i uh, been out on the road more and doing more games and stuff. I'll be, we'll be uh, at UCLA tomorrow night again. So excited to be here. Yeah. Are you seeing what, what game are you seeing tomorrow? I'm seeing UCLA versus Pepperdine tomorrow. Let's man. go. So that's, that's going to be exciting. Yeah. So if if you're listening to this on the No Ceilings uh, NBA podcast feed and not watching live on YouTube, Albert will already have seen that game go down. So Albert, how was the game? <laughs> uh, great. A <laughs> lot of prospects played well. Everyone had fun. Um but we are not covering any UCLA or Pepperdine prospects, although the Pepperdine guys mm-hmm. are very intriguing. And um, Maxwell uh, of No Ceilings fame just did uh, a fantastic piece on Maxwell Lewis that is up right now at NoCeilingsNBA.com with interviews from Maxwell and the coaching staff at Pepperdine. So um, if you need some some Pepperdine content in your life, No Ceilings has and will continue to have you covered. But tonight, or today, or this morning, whenever you are consuming this content, we are covering Kaysen Wallace of the Kentucky Wildcats. The guard will be 19.6 years old on draft night. He is listed at 6'4", 200 pounds, Currently averaging 12.6 points per game, four rebounds, 4.6 assists, two 2.8 turnovers, 3.4 steals, and 0.4 blocks. He is shooting 58.1% from the field, 53.3% from the three-point line, 62.5% from the free throw line. True shooting percentage of 67.3% with a PER of 20.9. Stock price, current stock price, um, which is pretty much the same as his preseason stock price. ESPN has him at 11. SB Nation has him at 11. Bleacher Report has him at 6. Basketball News has him at 13. The Athletic has him at 9. Tankathon at 12. 
Sports Illustrated at 10, no ceilings at 16. He has an average stock price of eight. So, um, Albert, as always, is Cason Wallace's draft stock price too high, too low, or just right with an average price of eight? Um, this is a difficult one for me because even from the last time that I wrote about Cason Wallace last week, a lot has happened. Uh, but you know what? For now, Corey, what I will say is I think eight feels just about right, even though eight is higher than where I have him on my own personal board. And the reason why is uh, we're going to talk about it, but there's a lot of intrigue with Case and Wallace. There's a lot of reason for these different publications and companies and people to be excited about him, as I was, as I was writing about him. And of, co- of course, at the same time, there are also reasons for people to have questions about him. Like, Corey, I know you're going to have a lot of questions about him, as you have. And I have questions about him, too, that I honestly tried to avoid in my piece about him because we are only a couple games or five games into the season. And I want to wait till we get to the very end for me to make any final judgments on him as a prospect for now so for now Corey, i'll say eight feels just about right i think it's a little bit high for me personally um he does have a somewhat wide draft range right now with bleach report having him at six and no ceilings having him at 16 i'm closer to the no ceilings ranking than i am bleacher reports uh but it's hard to not see the appeal with case and wallace and why he does feel like one of the safer prospects in a draft with a bunch of prospects that I feel like, you know, are kind of volatile and you're going to have guys really adamantly for or against um, certain guys at the top. And case Wallace, I feel like is going to be just steady enough that he floats through consistently through the entire season. Now, do I think he is going to keep up 58% from the floor, 53% from the three-point line, and even 62.5% from the free throw line. No, I think those numbers are going to average out to more normal numbers. This is the first prospect that we are covering during the actual college basketball season with you know somewhat real games played. So this evaluation is kind of based on just what we've seen early on, and it could be subject to change throughout the course of the year. But we're here to do what we do, which is go deep into the, the film that we have watched. But before we do that, I do want to talk about your your piece that you wrote on Casey Wallace for NoCeilingsNBA.com, uh, where you compared him to a good pair of scissors. And I think... One, um, you need to explain where that metaphor came from for the listeners, uh, because I think that uh, the way that, you know, the that scissors are used in um, a Korean household, it, it probably differs from, you know, an American household for most people. So talk to me about uh, why Kaysen Wallace was a, a good pair of scissors for you. Uh, to explain, I guess, where this comes from. Now, I don't know. I don't want to claim to know. Like, I know all the absolute origins of why scissors are such a essential, such an essential part of a Korean household. But the one thing that I do know about Korea is Korea uh, in 1950 went into war. And there was a Korean war between North and South Korea. And from then, after a war-torn Korea with the United States Army, you know, being in South Korea till now still are there. Um, I, I think Korea has become a very quickly, r- rapidly growing country. And we are a tiny country, but we are mighty. Uh, we have influence all over 
the world. If you've never heard of K-pop, then you just need to start reading a newspaper or having or a YouTube wear. account. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, all that stuff. Um, Korean barbecue, super famous. I'm sure most of you guys have a Korean television in your home, whether it's a Samsung or an, or an LG or a phone that's Korean, whatever. So. So where this comes from is that Koreans are super practical. We care about practicality and doing things uh, in a really high, efficient way. Now, the, my comparison for Case and Wallace to him being a great pair of scissors is that if you go to any or most Korean barbecue restaurants, uh, instead of using like a really nice pair, like knife or whatever, Koreans will use really strong commercial use scissors to cut up your meat and the reason why they do that is if you don't know in korean barbecue they cook right in front of you at the table so in the middle of your table there will be a grill there whether it's charcoal or gas or whatever and as they're cooking the meat in front of you they also want to cut it up into bite-sized pieces so that it's easily ready for the customer to eat it right then and there and they don't have to cut anything up so koreans are really they are really serious about the scissors that they use. And it's an essential part of any Korean home where whether you're eating meat or whatever it is, we use scissors to cut up a lot of different things. And so my ultimate point with Case and Wall is being compared to a good pair of scissors is that I believe that any and all NBA teams should look at Case and Wallace as an essential piece of their team moving forward if they were to draft him. He's a guy who can do so many different things well that because he's pretty much average or above average at everything that he does. He, he immediately raises the floor and ceiling of your team by just having him there is ultimately the point that I was trying to make. And I hope that came across clear through my piece as well. I, I believe that it did. And uh, it made me very hungry for some Korean barbecue. <laughs> um, talking about the versatility of the scissors and case and Wallace's versatility as a player. I think that, for Kaysen, it's only fair that we start on the defensive side of the floor yeah. for him. You know, a lot of times we start on offense. A lot of times we start with shooting and we'll get there. But I, I think that when you think of Kaysen Wallace, you think of defense, right? So um, let's talk about the defense and if it has lived up to the hype or not. Uh, how do you feel about Kaysen Wallace as an on-ball defender? I'll say this much, Corey. I, I do think it's fair to say that he's lived up to the hype. Um, I think if we look just straight up at the numbers, averaging 3.4 steals per game is pretty damn good. Um, I would say yeah, not bad. Not bad. Just to rattle off the last three games against Michigan State, which they lost. He had eight steals in that game. And then um, the game he had, a, uh, let me see, he had a steal after that and then four steals in his last game. So that's pretty good, um, I'd say. Right. What's that? 13 steals in three games. That's yep. not bad. You know, I, I'll take that type of production. But I will say, though, Corey, I think on the ball, if you watch Case and Wallace, it's it's really a mix of a lot of different things. Number one, the biggest thing that stuck, stuck out to me was the physicality and the mobility of his defense, where he moves so well. And now, of course, being 6'4 and having a compact frame like that with a sturdy lower half, a very, very sturdy lower half, uh, it really does play to his advantage, where he can stay in front of guys, use his 
physicality to stay in front of guys, have the mobility in his feet to stay in front of them, flipping his hips, right? That's a common saying we hear a lot in the draft world. But also, his length is unbelievable. This is a guy where if you have a loose handle in front of him, well, you're asking for trouble. Um, And now, Corey, you did ask about the on-ball stuff, so I'll stop there. But, you know, with his length, mobility, size, strength, he does cause a lot of problems on the ball, but also the way that he reads people. I mean, Corey, actually, I should ask you, because growing up, one of my basketball coaches when I was in, what was that, third grade, fourth grade, he was like, always yelling at us that when we're playing on ball defense to only watch the hips. And as I've grown older, I've learned that it's probably not a bad, it's probably not a good idea to just be staring at my opposition's hips the whole time. And you probably want to look beyond the hips and do other things as well. But that was just so ingrained in my brain as a child, like just watch the hips. But Jason Wallace is a guy who I think, is able to do it all on the ball. He's so aware of everything that's going on and uses all of his t- all of his strengths and length to really and everything that I said above to stay in front of his man. So his on-ball defense for me is excellent. I've really enjoyed it so far. Well, uh, the first thing I'll say is you probably shouldn't, any coach shouldn't really be yelling at third and fourth graders. That's fair. That is (laughs) just that age group. There's probably better ways to communicate, but the actual advice that he's given uh, to a third or fourth grader, that's actually really smart to, to hammer home. Um, For me, it was always being told, just look at the stomach, which is a similar thing because that part of the body is not going to lie in the direction your eyes can lie. Um, the ball will lie, but your hips, your stomach, your torso, you're going to be able to follow whatever direction that aspect of the offensive player, whatever direction you you could follow that. So that's actually pretty good advice for a youth basketball coach. Maybe the communication just needs to uh, be a little different when you're considering that you're like eight years old at that time. And uh, you know, who knows how much you're conveying, but it's stuck in your head. So maybe he did a great job. (laughs) Obviously, as you get older, you need to be able to focus on multiple different things at once. You need to use your periphery to see if a screen is coming. And, uh, but Kaysen, I think, is a a great example of being able to use that periphery, being able to use his length to not only poke away at balls with active hands, because his hands are are so active at all times, um, but he is able to use, you know, his offhand to feel a man coming um, on defense and and see when the screen is coming. So uh, I, I think that he is ultimately going to be incredibly valuable on that end because as a point of attack defender, because, you know, a lot of times we undersell the importance of these guys at the point of attack and, and what that means to the construct of a team defense. And we want to focus so much on how bigs are the end all be all for a good defense, but being able to blow up plays and, and make guards work is really valuable. And if you can't start a set, then the set can't get run. Right. So, you know, it just because yeah, a big being able to protect the rim and slide over and help is ultimately going to be what takes your defense to a certain level. You still need those guys who are guarding on the ball to make guys work. Cause at the NBA level, scorers are going to score. The, these guys are so damn good nowadays. And like the best defenders are going to struggle to stop SGA from doing whatever he wants, but you have to make that, you have to make SGA work for it. You can't just have, you know, let him 
uh, ease his way into a 30 piece, you have to make him get a difficult 30. That's what the really great defenders do. And Casey Wallace certainly has that potential. Um, you know, I think that a lot of times, you know, steals can be overrated. Guys can be gambling off the ball, but so much of, I feel like what Casey Wallace does is he uses his active hands on the ball, or if he's in help, it's like off a dig and like, like a smart stuff. It's there's, not as much gambling as you would spe- expect for somebody who is, you know, a high steals guy. Mm-hmm. Averaging that many steals per game is something that I don't think is going to be sustainable. Of course. But uh, the fact that he had a game where he had eight, uh, eight steals, another game where he was at four steals, like there are going to be these games spread throughout where you could just feel his presence in his stock numbers. And, you know, for a guard, that's rare because you might see that with wings, right? Like you would expect that from a, a Jarris Walker, maybe a Brandon Miller, mm-hmm. maybe an Amen Thompson, but Casey Wallace is a guard who's listed at six, four and he looks it. Um, so you, you don't expect that as much, but Casey, like you said, he could flip his hips. He could stay with his man. I think we're not going to see how versatile he is as far as how many positions can he guard yeah. in college too often yeah. this year, but he's strong. And he's long, like you said, and he's smart and he's feisty. And I think on the defensive side of the ball is where you see that quote unquote dog in him, you know, like this, this is where you, he feels really comfortable on this side of the ball. It's where he feels at home. And, um, you see him just exude confidence, you know, in that Michigan state game, uh, it was at the end of the game. I don't know. I I don't remember if it was at the end of like regulation or one of the overtimes, but there was like a jump ball scenario and he just ripped it. Yeah. You know, out of the Michigan State big man's hands. Um, And we were covering that game on on playback live. And I think I I said that he made the Michigan State player submit to him. And I think that that kind of attitude permeates through your team. It gives you moments where you're you can really hype yourself up. So I agree. I think he really has, you know, lived up to the hype on that end. No, dude, I 100% agree. I mean, the 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 laws of the uh, animal kingdom is what you're talking about, and I, I <laughs> you could feel it. He he's he's really aggressive, really strong, and in that play, like he really exerted. I it's weird to say, but he really exerted his dominance, right? Yes, over that big, and he has that effect on the floor because because when you watch him, he's not a very vocal player, not a guy that I think will ever get caught up in like a shouting match on the floor or trash talking with the other opposition, but a guy who really tries to lead by example, one of those quiet leadership type of guys who just plays really hard and tries to make really smart plays all over the floor and. Uh, to his credit and also to sometimes his detriment, which I know 100% we're going to be talking about, is that he's very much a team player and a guy who doesn't try to do too much out of the boundaries of what he's asked to do. Now, what I mean by, by that isn't necessarily like that he isn't trying harder than he needs to try to. What I mean is that he really tries to stay within the walls or the parameters created, in my opinion, created by the coaching staff or what the coaches are asking him to do. So I do feel like at times, um, 
he, he's very much a team player is what I'm trying to, I, I don't want to beat uh, what we're going to be getting into later, but he very is very much as a team player who does his job really, really well and tries to do it with at excellent level so that he can lead in that way. So um, just he, going back to the defense, I think he does that too, where he's always doing his job, always staying on his assignment, trying to be disciplined, not getting too crazy. And it, it's, it's a really valuable thing that he does, I believe. Yeah, it's translatable. It's something that you could point to um, in his game and go, yeah, that's going to translate at the NBA level. You don't have to use your imagination much to to see how, you know, he's going to be able to guard the same way. Obviously, you know, he's going to have tougher assignments at the next level, at, you know, Eastern Kentucky and the Dominican Republic and, you know, whatever teams that that he's gone up against. Um, but we saw, you know, him cause chaos like in that Michigan State game, those guards on Michigan state are, they might not be draft prospects necessarily, but those guys were tough. They hit some tough shots and you know, that's, he, he had a lot to deal with there and you know, eight steals and just solid defense all around uh, was impressive. Um, is there any other aspect of his, his defense that you think needs touching on? Um, a couple things. I would say the first thing is um, he's pretty good at blocking shots for his size. S64 does a good job. I, I mean, I posted a couple clips in my article of him blocking Nick Smith Jr. in their matchup in high school, which was really good. Um, really strong rebounder for his size. He's averaging only four a game right now, but a guy who does like to mix it up with the bigs and does a good job with it and anticipating the ball off the rim, but also, you know, obviously using his length and athletic ability to go and get it. Um, off ball stuff, I think. I'd love, I'd love to hear your feedback, Corey, because once again, I know it, it goes both ways, right? Whether it's an on-ball or off-ball, it's a small sample size. But um, I feel like he does a good job of playing the passing lanes. He shows a lot of good anticipation there. You mentioned Corey on digs and stuff like that, off-ball. He does a good job of reading stuff and staying staying disciplined. Did want to say, though, and I, I don't remember if it was Maxwell or who it was who mentioned it in our group chat, but there have been a couple lapses with him off the ball, and that, that is something that I've noticed as well. But I do wonder if that's more of a, I don't know, more of a blip on the radar rather than this is kind of what he is right now is kind of how I felt. But I would love to hear your feedback on that as well. I think it's youth and getting accustomed to speed of the game. I Even the best defenders in the league are prone to lapses. Right, right. You, you can't be perfect on either end. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. It's like an offensive player might go uh, eight for ten but they still miss two shots, right? Like, so even in a great defensive game, you're going to be able to pick out moments where like, you know, somebody was a little bit out of position or they missed a rotation. And sometimes there are reasons for it that even by watching on film, you don't necessarily see what if, you know, somebody called a, a switch and, you know, the other person didn't switch and that led to a breakdown. And like, there are just things that sometimes are, we don't get to, to see on film. And that's why like, scouting live sometimes where you could like hear that stuff actually is really valuable. Um, I think that, you know, he's, you know, we talked about like, I think he makes really smart choices a lot of the times. So if he is going to like dig down on somebody, he's going to make sure that he's not leaving his responsibility. Uh, and I think that's something that's really important because he's keeping that uh, chain in the fence, that link strong and there, he doesn't, you know, lead to breakdowns there. Um, in the passing lanes, I think, you know, there are guys who are like really impactful. And then there are guys who are like, good. I think he's good there. Like, I, you know, I've been, um, doing, a a lot of film on Marcus Sasser early. Cause if you're, 
reading, if you're listening to this on the No Ceilings feed, then my Marcus Sasser piece is, is out already. Um, and you probably won't see too much of the defensive stuff because I'm focusing mostly on offense. But Marcus Sasser is like, he's like a cornerback. Like this dude gets like multiple pick sixes a game because his anticipation is wild. And he has this quick twitch burst that allows him to just fire himself out of a cannon and get in the passing lanes and, and build that momentum. I don't think case Wallace has that same like quick twitch ability to just be like zero to 60 and, and get in the passing lanes that way. But I think he does it positionally and, and being able to read the defense and using his length. So um, ultimately though, I think the, the most important part is just the way he thinks the game on that end. And then the, the way that he competes on that end. And, as a defender, I, I think at the guard spot who doesn't have, you know, the the six eight size that everybody wants nowadays, he does have the the measurables um, to comp and the intelligence and the the grit to to compensate for, you know, the the fact that he isn't you know a, a jumbo point right. guard. Right, Corey. If I can, really quickly, I think just to piggyback off of what you what you were saying about him off ball and the anticipation of the passing lanes, I think a good way to think about this, and uh, for all our fans out there who don't watch football, I'm sorry, but uh, you mentioned quarterbacks, right? And I think the best way to think about it is a guy like Darrell Revis, who in his prime was absolutely the number one silver tier i don't know whatever you want to call it cornerback where he was unbelievable right he could he'd come down and make tackles but on uh, like on an island revis island uh, a guy who could pick anything right and his as you mentioned burst and speed was unbelievable and then you have guys on the other end who i think are closer to case and wallace who are guys who function really well in a system Mm -hmm. and does a really good job in a system and can also go and get um interceptions off is a guy like richard sherman right with what he he did for the seattle seahawks and later on with the niners a guy who is a great a really really good cornerback but maybe not as skilled and gifted um, as a Darrell Revis, but still had an, an extraordinary career because he was so good at his job within that system and also was good at anticipating things and breaking stuff up is, I think, what you're trying to say. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the the, the perfect way to put it, right? And, yeah. and we see guys who are like that offensively as well. There's, you know, you sometimes system and context opens up a role for you that, you know, just open makes you a really valuable piece on the floor um i i was on the the bulls gold podcast recently and you know they asked me if do i think that the bulls have been really bad at development lately because we see laurie markinen playing really well in utah and wendell carter jr is playing really well in orlando and i was like i one if there are any live viewers out there apologize for this gonna try to get this figured out relatively soon but i think what Corey was trying to say i'm back there he is there he is <laughs> uh don't know what happened there some te- technical difficulties um what i responded mm-hmm. was that i think jim boylan is you know one of the worst coaches ever so that certainly hurt but ultimately guys went and found situations that made more sense for their game um, you know, like Laurie Markinen, it's not like he went from the Bulls to the Jazz and is having this success, right? He went to the Cavs and he was fine there. It was a weird context. And now he finally found the right context for him and he's succeeding. Wendell Carter, you know, um, 
you could kind of see where his value was le- league wide. He signed a four year deal worth twelve and a half million off an extension. So that kind of means that he and his agent were like, eh, there might not be a lot out there for you necessarily. People want to see you prove it. He's finally stayed healthy, put it together. He fits in with this weird Orlando team. And that's helped him be the player that he is. Even Luke Cornett, like he might not, he wasn't a great fit on the Bulls, but the, the Celtics are making use of him. It doesn't mean that the Bulls developmental staff struggled. It was just like, sometimes guys need better team constructs and you know with these young players if you have a lot on your shoulders and you need to lead that might not be the right spot but you grow uh as a player every year that you're in the league you get more experience and finally you know eventually hopefully you find where you can thrive jordan clarkson you know at he played on a lot of bad teams until he got traded to a good one and he became a valuable six man instead of known as a chucker um so being able to you know, play within a system is important. And some guys need that specific system. Case and Wallace might be more of that system guy in, yeah. in that analogy. Yeah. But he fits multiple systems. Yeah. Right. You know, right. right. That, that skill set that he brings on the defensive end is uh, something that any team would look for. So let's take a quick break and then let's get into the offense. All right, we're back, and it's time to, um, I think, go a little deeper into the offense. Not deeper, necessarily, but have more things to say that aren't strictly just like, Cason Wallace is very good at this. Even though, if you looked at Cason Wallace's offensive game, you go, it's hard for me to find a flaw. The percentages are great, right? Like, there's no glaring weaknesses, much like the defense, but that might not be a great thing depending on how much you value him and where you feel comfortable taking him in the draft. So uh, let's start as we always do with case Wallace's shooting. Um, what do you think about the shot? I think the foundation is there um, is what I really believe, Corey. I think um, when I watch him shoot, whether it's the balance or the mechanics of the shot I am not our shot doctor here, so don't come and kill me, listeners out there. That's why Corey's here, where if I'm wrong, he will correct me. But I will say, just from watching all his high school stuff, watching what we've seen so far in college, you can see the very clear building blocks to him becoming, a whether it's a above-average shooter or a pretty damn good shooter, I think there's enough there that makes me believe, Corey. Um, now, is the volume there yet? No. Uh, is the aggression there yet? I'd say absolutely not. And I can't wait for you to go off on all that. But um, I think overall, though, mechanics-wise, foundationally, I think there's a lot to like. And that's just me th- thinking about like his jump shooting, right? In in the paint, I think he's obviously a very good finisher. I love his floater. Now, I, I would like to see him take a little bit more contact and finish through contact. I don't think we've seen enough of that yet, but I'd like to see more of that because I think he can do it. He obviously has the frame to take on a lot of contact and finish through it. Now, also, he's not like the uh, greatest vertical threat 
He doesn't jump the highest, but he's also not groundbound either, which I do like. Uh, overall, I think he's a very good athlete, not uh, an exceptional athlete or generational or elite, <laughs> any of those superlatives I'd pass on when it comes to Casey Wallace. But if we combined f- good functional athleticism with his size and frame, and then we consider the shooting just the shooting aspect of it all. I do like him, Corey. I think he will be a good shooter. Now, Corey, what you were alluding to before is when you look at the numbers, it's kind of hard to nitpick and be like, where is the issue here? Now, we could shed some light on the free throw shooting, right, where I do think he needs to improve, and hopefully he gets to the line more often, which is something I'd like to see more of as well with more volume and in taking more free throws. Maybe that percentage goes up. But overall, Corey, I I think... um, foundationally i like it uh we'll have to continue to watch yeah before you know we i talk about um and i mostly agree with you um so because i do think the foundation is there he's got good form uh mostly good shot prep the free throws 62 and a half percent it's not really something to worry about be like oh is he one of these guys who low free throw percentage maybe he just got lucky on some of these makes on low volume is he really a good or good shooter or not uh i think that the free throw percentage is gonna average out i think he'll be somewhere in that 75 to 80 range ultimately he just doesn't ever get to the line and that to me is the issue for casein right now because as you mentioned he has the frame And I think that he has opportunities that he can get all the way to the hoop and generate looks for himself if he had a a more aggressive scoring mindset, because often he does settle for his floater, which you can argue that he has the best floater in in the class. So I I don't want to say settling for it is something um, necessarily a bad thing in most circumstances, you know, it's a great shot for him. Soft touch, good arc. Like he's going to be able to drop that in over bigs uh, at the NBA level, but there are definitely times where, and, and this is something that we talked about in Nick Smith with Nick Smith too, is that you don't want to be relying on it. You have to mix it up and you, you have to be willing to go in and, and generate free throws for yourself because there are going to be times where, the shot's not dropping, the floater's not dropping, and how are you going to get easy points in the paint? And if you're as big and physical as Kaysen is, you should be averaging more than one triple. He's averaging, I think, 1.7 free throw attempts per game right now, and that's just that's less than one trip to the line a game. You know, like getting to the basket, shooting free throws is part of being an efficient offensive player. So I think that he's a he's going to prove to be a good free throw shooter. He just needs to get there. Um, and again, that's part of the, a, a larger overarching right. issue that we'll have to talk about. Shall we? <laughs> yeah, we shall. Because the three point shot, which, you know, his, his volume there is okay. You know, he's, there are games where he's shooting a, a good volume and there are some games where he's not. And that's because there are some games where, his overall shooting volume from everywhere on the floor is low. And that I think is mostly because he is very um, cautious about what kind of shots he takes during the games. Cause functionally you, you watch him shoot threes and good footwork, you know, finishes high hand, good follow through waves. Goodbye. Good arc, soft touch. Like there's a reason that he's shooting over 50% 
early on in this season. And again, the, the sample is low, but it's not going to shock me when you look at Cason Wallace's shooting percentages uh, after the season ends and he's at 38, 39%. Like that wouldn't shock me. Now, my question is, is it better for Cason to finish around 40% as a three-point shooter because he's being cautious or 36% as a three-point shooter because he's expanding the parameters of his offensive game? I think the very easy answer here, Corey, is 36% on much more aggression and higher volume. Because, Corey, if I can, I think ultimately... So, Corey, this this is perfect that you're bringing this up because you're the best person to ask, right? Because I feel like as I've been watching him so far in his young Kentucky career, I do wonder if a lot of what we're seeing so far from Wallace in terms of his aggression and the willingness to put up shots in big moments, right? The perfect example is the game that you guys called last Tuesday against Michigan State. In a big moment at the end of regulation, he has it inside of half court and he decides to pass it at the last second and they don't even get up a proper shot um, before regulation ends. My question is, do you think it's because he's just not aggressive in his personality or could it be that he's still figuring things out within the dynamics of a Kentucky team where they do have some guys who've come back, right? A little bit older guys. Um, They have a guy like Severe Wheeler who was already a transfer last year and is still on the team this year. Is it, could it be, could we attribute some of this um, to him being a little careful wanting to fit in not wanting to ruffle feathers not wanting to step over toes is that part of why we're seeing this from case and wallace because my thing is this Corey. like i think very much because of the way that he plays on defense the way he rebounds the way that he can get after make these types of loose ball plays that it's not that the aggression is not there but so for me, once again, in my gut, I feel like it's situational, but please correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I no, So I think it's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, you know, he, he is a freshman on a team with a, an upperclassman who is like an offense first guy, uh, in college, they're typically, you know, on a lot of teams, there is like a hierarchy on, on who gets shots, uh, so that's part of it, but I do think there is also the part of it where he, in certain in- instances, are has shown to kind of be afraid to take chances and and make mistakes offensively. I think that that one play that we talked about that I think people end up harping on um, about his passiveness at the end of the clock where he passed it. It's not so much that I think the pass was the wrong move because he was in the, you know, kind of that corner, um, right when he crosses half court and he was kind of walled off to where he couldn't really retreat because it would be a backcourt violation. He ran out of room on the sideline and there was a defender in front of him. So it's, he's kind of boxed in, in this weird spot to where if he, he, if he did get a shot up, it would have been a pretty tough shot. So the idea of him passing it to the guy next to him made sense from the perspective of he probably had a cleaner look the timing was off but the part of it is he he made the decision to dribble to that spot and that was kind of 
the issue for me. It wasn't that he, you know, thought that was a really hard shot and he didn't have a good look. It was he dribbled to that spot almost to the kind of taking the chance away to get a look out of it. You know, he, he yeah. you, you kind of want to dribble more towards the center of right. the court. So you have a little bit more room to kind of either turn the jets on and blow by and get up a shot or whatever. And he kind of put himself in a position where he, he didn't give himself options. And I think part of it is because he didn't necessarily know if he wanted to be the one to put that shot up. And, and for me, a lot of his offensive game is reactionary. And, you know, when we go into the playmaking, that's something he's, he's not thinking ahead. Um, And and that's kind of why you'll see him as like, I think people will talk about him as a combo guard and not necessarily a pure point because he doesn't have those tendencies where, and it's not to say he has like low feel or something like that. Cause I don't think that he has low feel. He, he plays a smart game. Uh, I feel like you could almost describe him at like the coach's son, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, if, (laughs) if he looks like me, people would talk about him like the, like he was the coach's son. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like he has good feel, but there are times where he's still reacting to what the defense does rather than making the defense react to what he does. And that comes across in his shot taking um, and some of the other decisions that he makes. Corey, I, I think we should call it for what it is. I think, I think what you're alluding to is that he doesn't necessarily have the imagination. And uh, no, and, and I don't mean to say I was thinking the word flair, but I don't want to use the word flair because you don't need to have flair to be a primary creator. But I do think there is a measure of imagination and creativity that you do totally. need as a primary creator. And that colors is he, in the lines. Correct. Correct. I, I, I think that's where he's lacking for sure. Um, I think for him, he's very much a guy who I would not even say I, I Corey, what I wrote in my notes is I, I didn't even think he was a very good passer or even a good. I thought he was an adequate passer was the mm-hmm. exact word that I wrote in my notes. He can do passing <laughs> <laughs> as weird as that sounds. It doesn't sound weird. Um, <laughs> Case and Wallace can pass the ball is essentially what it is. It's, he's not an elite playmaker. He's not a guy that's going to create these beautiful pieces of art with his passing like a Giddy or Sharif Cooper or Trey Young. Right, exactly. Like none of like 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 those guys, but a guy who eventually will get to my NBA comps is going to do solid stuff. Just really solid stuff across the floor. Once in a while, he might surprise you with a, with, with a really nice pass. Will that be the norm for him or what he's going to be asked to do consistently in an NBA offense? I think 100% not. So, Corey, what you're saying, I think, is exactly is a really great representation of Cason Wallace offensively, where he's very much not going to be your number one option, but as like a number two, number three option, is going to be able to do a lot of things very well, which makes him kind of invaluable in that way. A guy who you can fit into almost any NBA roster and is a guy who's going to give you great value just by not being bad at any of the skills that are required on offense. See, I kind of feel like his ceiling is more of a third option than a second option. Okay, yeah. And and, um, he's more likely to be like the fourth option. I don't necessarily think he is Patrick Beverly offensively. I think there's more to his game than a guy like that, who is like a good fifth starter on a good team or has been in the past. Uh, But I, you know, 
one of the the popular comps is is going to be Drew Holiday, right? Like that's that's the guy that everybody comps him to immediately. And Drew was on a championship team. He was the the third option who correct, correct. every now and then can get hot and look like a second option. But he was the third option. And that's, you know, on a championship team, it's really hard to be a top two guy, right? Like we're talking Jalen Brown mm-hmm. is a, a top two guy. So I, I do think his ceiling is much more in that third option, but more likely is he's kind of like the fourth option. And that's the thing with, I think if his ceiling is going to be the fourth option, on your offense, but a guy who can kind of lead your defense as a guard that that that's really valuable. I don't know if it's, you know, sixth to eighth pick in the draft valuable, but maybe it is, you know, it could be, I mean, you could, you would certainly argue that drew holiday is who, who I think, you know, is obviously tapped out as a a third option on a championship team. So obviously if you were like, Hey, you can get drew holiday with the sixth pick, you would be like, please sign me up for that. Um, I think Drew Holiday probably is going to end up being a better overall scorer, but mm-hmm. we've seen guys take leaps. So it's it's right. not like it's out of the question. I feel like he's more that third option ceiling, fourth mm-hmm. option more realistic. But yeah, it's just uh there's that that timidness to play outside of the boundaries of how he usually plays and we'll see maybe like playing in more space. You know, there's not a lot a ton of space at Kentucky this mm-hmm. year and maybe playing with in NBA space will open up some of these things, especially as a playmaker. You know, I think one of the things that I've been looking for that I haven't really seen from him yet is he doesn't really make passes more than like one pass yeah. away. Right. Yeah. And I think part of that is the reactionary nature. He's not seeing things develop before knowing that if he goes to a certain spot, things will open up based on how the defense rotates. Uh, It's much more like uh, the defense collapses and it's a drive and kick or, you know, he'll show like uh, that he can run a basic pick and roll and get the ball to the roll man. And, you know, that's valuable, especially as like a second side creator in an offense. Like um, he had a beautiful lob out of the pick and roll to wear in that Gonzaga game that like showed great touch as a passer. Like there are certainly things that you see that you're like, Oh, that was really nice. Right. You know, and, and that he is averaging almost five assists a game, which is pretty good, you know, in this offense that, that he's running. So there's certainly stuff there, but he's just, he's lacking that creativity and that ability to, to break down the second level of the defense and, and make guys pay with those weak side skips and, you know, right. just all the, the timing of, of his passes as well, where, you know, you're passing early instead of late. And now guys just have that extra split second where every level that you get to that extra split second really matters on if your shooter is going to get a clean look or not. So, um, yeah, he, he has nice moments that you're like, that was, that was clean. But, um, also you're like, eh, I, I kind of wish that you saw more. Yeah, no, dude, I a hundred percent agree. And, um, I don't know, like I, I, Corey, I, I liked everything that you said about him being like a third, fourth option type of player, which, which is why I think right now, currently on my most updated board, I have him 10th. And for me, 
if I was an NBA team with the t- 10th pick in the draft and I knew that I was getting a solid third, fourth option who could lead my defense and have maybe one, two, maybe even up to three all-star seasons, I'd have no problem taking him with the 10th pick in the draft. Um, and it's funny, like, for us to say, like, well, the six is too high. It, it kind of is too high, though. Like, if we're talking about, like, that area of the draft where I feel like the 10th pick feels good. I think mm-hmm. the 10th pick is fair even in my article when i wrote about him and his passing i actually wrote plus passing ability which i think could be fair but also might be a little too high even on my end when i was talking about his passing because i do agree with you but overall I, I just think offensively he will be good he will be good um yeah. with with potential with potential for him to grow because um as you mentioned Corey, he is a freshman and these guys at what is he what 18 19 he's probably 19 right now right he just turned 19 so you know by the time he's 22 24 he may look like a very different player on the offensive side of the ball and i think that's where we're what we're hoping for because the defense has such a strong foundation right now if he can get his offense up two levels three levels and we're talking about a really really fun nba player so um if you're listening casein we're, we wish you the best, bud. We really do hope <laughs> you figure it out and you, you know, take a more aggressive approach on the offensive side of the ball. And fingers crossed, maybe even within his freshman year, by the end of it, he exerts some more of that uh, dominance over even his own teammates. Yeah, and he's shown flashes of like the things that you kind of want to see. You just want to see them more often, right? Like he's a good enough shooter from the three-point line that teams are going to close out to him. And when he does that, he's able to take advantage, throw a pump fake, hit like a one-two dribble pull-up or get to that floater. Again, we, we'd we love to see him attack the hoop a little harder, draw some contact, finish around the rim. But I, I think the thing with him where you talk about like in that 10 range, uh, I think 10 to 14 is is probably like a good area. Um, you know, like he might not have the flashiest box scores, or game, but projecting forward, you also want to, you know, look at the physical attributes that he brings. Like Tyrese Hunter had, you know, some pretty explosive games, right? And he brings a lot of like NBA qualities. I think that I know I'm higher on him, I think, than the general consensus is. And I think it, you'd, it'd be hard to argue that Tyrese Hunter should go ahead of um, Kaysen in a draft right. because he is a tiny guard. And while he does have, abilities to make up for that we've seen the nba shy away so part of the appeal with case and is that while he might not be a josh giddy level jumbo creator he is a guy that can play off the ball and his skill set where he is mostly like a spot up guy who's attacking closeouts and stuff like that and running basic pick and roll like is a good compliment to a lot of the guys that play in the league like he fits next to your lucas and you know a, a guy like lebron or james harden or josh giddy or you know guys like that like he fits next to that he's easy to put in any team construct and just be like all right you could thrive unless, you know, you're drafting him super high and you're like, Hey, we want you to be the offensive hub of everything we do. And like, no team is going to realistically do that. So, um, I think that right now, cause I think it, we could also break down his game in, in doing so let's, uh, go into our comp. So if, if you were buying stock in case in Wallace, who may you have also bought stock in previously? <sighs> Well, Corey, really quickly, I want to piggyback off of everything that you just said. And what came into my brain 
was that he's not I, I don't think he's going to be a superhero. I think he's going to be a super sidekick, if that's fair. And I don't think that is an indictment against um, what we believe his future is going to be as an NBA player. There are a lot of really good NBA players who had very successful careers as super sidekicks. The two examples that came to my mind that I wrote about in my article, along with, of course, the Drew Holiday comp, was Larry Hughes. Uh, if you grew up in the 90s and the 2000s, then you should be pretty familiarized with who Larry Hughes was and a guy who learned to play next to an Allen Iverson, learned how to play next to a Gilbert Arenas and Anton Jameson, uh, a guy who was a pivotal piece next to even LeBron James, you know, uh, in Cleveland. But a guy, well, pivotal might be a strength, huge, but... huge signing. Huge, huge signing. Shook Larry the Hughes. NBA world to its core at the time. Uh, just like Darren Williams was for the Cavs in 2018. But um, Larry Hughes was a guy who... Um, go back and look at Larry Hughes' steals numbers. And he was consistently at the top of the league. Um, a guy who was a solid defender. But of course, Larry Hughes was in my opinion, way more dynamic on the offensive end of the floor, a guy who could really handle the ball and was shifty as hell and could do a lot of things. But I, I, I chose Larry Hughes, Malcolm Brogdon, Drew Holiday for a very specific reason. These are guys who, over the course of their NBA careers, learn to play next to alpha-level superstars. Right. Look at Malcolm Brogdon and Brogdon and the situation that he's in right now with the Boston Celtics. He's playing next to Jalen Brown, playing, playing next to a Jason Tatum. Right. Derek White, a, a very, very good team and a guy who knows how to function within a team like that without ever freaking out or asking for his name to be called consistently. A guy who can fit in with any system fit in next to superstars fit in next to high volume guys is why I chose those guys. Because I really do believe that Kaysen is going to have that type of game, whether it's everything that he offers to you on the defensive side of the ball, but also offensively, I think he's going to be eventually be a rock solid catch and shoot three point shooter, a guy who can be your secondary tertiary creator, a guy who's going to do little things all over the floor for you where he's just going to so seamlessly fit next to an alpha is why I chose Larry Hughes and Malcolm Brogdon and Drew Holiday. Yeah. Larry Hughes was uh, also a Bulls legend. Let's, uh, sure. let's not forget. Also the Warriors. Uh, I forgot but, to mention the Warriors too. But uh, the, the Wizards contract year, Larry Hughes was a, you know, he's a pretty special player. Um, but, uh, you know, adding on and I think, you know, kind of like a similar uh kind of vain to maybe like a, a Malcolm Brogdon somewhere in the middle of all the, I kind of thought like Kirk Heinrich, Good. like, yeah, like Kirk Heinrich was a guy who came in like as a point guard, but, um, you know, he was able, he, he averaged, you know, like 15 to 17 points per game in the league. He was like a five assist guy. He rebounds. And the thing that made him valuable was how good he was on the defensive end as a guard, where he was able to guard ones and twos kind of equally well. And uh, he was a guy that, you know, was known kind of historically. He he gave Dwayne Wade fits, you know, and and was able to cover those dynamic guys, even though, yeah, maybe he wasn't the um, most dynamic athlete, but he was just so good positionally and effort wise that you know, he was able to make it happen on that end versus a lot of those guards. Uh, NBA defenses are a lot more sophisticated now and offenses are as well. So you're going to have to, you know, do a little bit more switching up positionally onto bigger wings. But I, I do think Kaysen 
has the ability to do that. And and looking at guys like Malcolm Brogdon, Derek White, and Larry Hughes, and Drew, and all those guys, I think those are are, are good examples of what uh, Kaysen is, you know, capable of as as a player. So it's time for uh, America's uh, favorite segment, Albert. This is your time, your chance to uh, sell us a a nice pair of scissors for Kaysen Wallace. All right, guys. So I'm going to, you know, obviously because I wrote about the scissors, I'm going to avoid that here, but I'm going to give it to you guys very practically. Um, If you're a manager, supervisor, GM, VP, anywhere, whether it's at a McDonald's or a Fortune 500 company, if you manage people, right, or an NBA head coach, if you manage people, the thing that you're going to be looking for is you you want guys on your team, obviously, who can do the high-end, unbelievable things, right? You want your one percenters, you want your heavy hitters, you want your home run hitters, right? At the same time, you also want your guys who are going to be steady, guys who won't rock the boat, guys who won't cause you problems, guys that you'll realize just looking at your agenda or your roster or whatever and realizing, man, I haven't talked to this guy in a couple of months, right? And and the reason why you haven't talked to this guy in a couple of months is because he does his job. He doesn't cause any problems. He isn't yelling at somebody in the break room because they forgot to take out the coffee grounds. He's not uh, doing inappropriate things with other coworkers. He's just a rock. So he or she or they are a great employee, does their job really well, never causes any problem. If you're a manager, supervisor, head coach, GM, whatever, you want somebody like that on your team. Kaysen Wallace is exactly that. He's a guy who in Q1 is going to do about average, do everything that you ask him for. In Q2 could be in the top 1% performing at an extremely high level. Then in Q3, back to normal. Q4, high average. Ultimately, what we're trying to sell you on is a guy who is always going to do his job really, really well, while also having who also has the potential to give you more is case and Wallace. So if you're an NBA team GM out there, listen to me carefully. You need guys like case and Wallace on your team because eventually you're going to have guys who give you guys who give you headaches. You're going to have guys who can go hot and cold, but you need someone who's right about right there in the middle. And that's case and Wallace. So you should probably grab him with whatever pick you have in the draft, except for probably in the top five, but uh, anything beyond that seems like pretty fair game to me. Well said. Um, all right. This was a, this is a fun, fun episode on, uh, you know, a, a guy that I, I think is going to be really interesting to monitor through the rest of the cycle. But I, I think he was a smart first choice one, because you wrote um, on him. And I think that's just fun to do in a, in a timely way, uh, a topical way. But also I think, you know, he's one of those guys who started out really steady. And I think for him, there's really nowhere to go, but up. I like, it's hard to kind of see him, uh, hitting a bottom or, or going through some, some real lulls because he brings, you know, a lot to the table. That's always going to kind of make him, uh, impact winning in, in, in other ways at the least. So, all right, Albert, uh, tell the, the people around, uh, the World Wide web where they can find you on, uh, the internet. You can find me um, at Alberto Gim on Twitter. That toe is spelled T-O-E like the one on your foot uh, is where you could find me on Twitter. You could find me on different platforms too. I'm on Instagram and TikTok and 
it's still unbelievable, Corey, what the stuff we're doing on TikTok and still feels very strange. I told my wife the other day, um, I was like, hey, like I did a TikTok and it felt like <laughs> the most boomer thing I've ever said uh, ever in my life. I did a TikTok is what I said to my wife and all she did was scoff at me and laugh. So that's the world that we live in now. But that's where you can find me and we're trying to have fun out here and I'm excited to be writing. I'll probably be dropping another article next week uh is where you can find me uh and you can find me at Corey Tulliba. um you can find uh the written work at no make sure that you subscribe we are dropping uh content every single day for it's free you can you just get it delivered to your inbox it's it's a pretty sweet deal for you because you know we're dropping straight heat with you know some really really interesting and, and diverse pieces and uh make sure that if you haven't yet that you are rating and reviewing the the no ceilings nba draft podcast feeds uh, because we have a bunch of amazing shows on that feed we have draft deeper we have home and away we have deep dives the draft act and the no ceilings nba draft show monday through friday and uh you know where else are you getting hour-long episodes five days a week on the NBA draft. It's we, we cover it like, like nobody's business, man. So we're going to continue doing that throughout the rest of the cycle. I hope that uh, everybody either has or had a happy Thanksgiving and uh, gear up because these, these conference games are starting soon. It's about to get real. And uh, you know, until next week, y'all we are out. Peace. Peace.